I never anticipated that my quiet job as a park ranger would thrust me into the heart of an enigma that chilled me to the bone. My responsibilities mainly revolved around maintaining the trails and keeping a watchful eye on the wilderness through the trail cameras scattered across the park. Little did I know, those cameras would become the gateway to a mystery that would consume my thoughts and haunt my dreams. It all started on a routine day. I was in the monitoring room, sipping on lukewarm coffee and watching the live feed from the trail cameras. The usual scenes of wildlife and hikers played out on the screens until one particular camera caught my attention. The footage showed an eerie figure standing at the edge of the trail, its form barely distinguishable in the shadows. I dismissed it at first, thinking it might be a trick of the light or a hiker dressed oddly. However, as I continued my surveillance, more unsettling images began to appear. Figures that seemed to emerge from the trees, their faces obscured, engaged in peculiar rituals and movements that sent shivers down my spine. It wasn't long before I realized that something was deeply amiss within the boundaries of the park. Determined to unravel the mystery, I delved into the archives of the trail camera footage. The further back I went, the stranger the occurrences became. Whispers of forgotten stories echoed through the visual spectral forms, inexplicable lights, and peculiar symbols etched into the bark of ancient trees. Late one night, fueled by curiosity and a growing sense of unease, I decided to venture into the park myself. Armed with a flashlight and a map, I followed the trails indicated by the camera's footage. The air was thick with an otherworldly tension as I navigated through the darkness, guided by the dim glow of my flashlight. As I neared a clearing that the cameras had captured repeatedly, an old, dilapidated structure emerged from the shadows. The remains of what seemed to be an abandoned cabin stood before me, barely visible under the veil of night. As I cautiously approached, the creaking of the floorboards beneath my boots resonated through the eerie silence. Inside, I discovered remnants of a forgotten-era tattered furniture, decaying wallpaper, and the lingering scent of decay. A dusty journal lay on a wooden table, its pages filled with cryptic entries detailing a local legend about a group of settlers who had vanished mysteriously centuries ago. The more I read, the more the pieces of the puzzle fell into place. The figures in the trail camera footage, the strange rituals, they all seemed to tie back to this long-forgotten story. It spoke of a curse that befell the settlers, an ancient ritual gone awry, and a presence that lingered in the woods, seeking redemption or revenge. Armed with this newfound knowledge, I realized that the park held a dark secret hidden in plain sight. The figures in the footage were not anomalies but echoes of the past, trapped in a perpetual loop. As a park ranger, it became my responsibility to uncover the truth and bring closure to the restless spirits that wandered the trails. In the days that followed, I worked tirelessly to piece together the forgotten narrative, consulting local historians and delving into historical records. With the information I gathered, I reached out to paranormal experts who specialized in cleansing rituals and spirit communication. 
Together, we embarked on a journey to free the park from the haunting specters of its past. The night of the ritual was tense as we stood in the clearing where the mysterious figures had once congregated. The air seemed to crackle with energy as incantations echoed through the woods. Gradually, the figures from the trail camera footage materialized before us, their ghostly forms flickering in and out of existence. As the ritual unfolded, a profound stillness settled over the clearing and the figures began to dissipate into the night. The air felt lighter and a sense of peace replaced the previous unease. The forgotten story that had lingered for centuries was finally put to rest and the park exhaled a collective sigh of relief. In the aftermath, the trail cameras captured nothing but the ordinary beauty of nature the rustle of leaves, the graceful movement of deer, and the gentle flow of the river. The unsettling figures that had haunted the screens were gone, leaving behind a park that felt rejuvenated, as if it had shed the weight of centuries of unresolved history. As a park ranger, I continued my duties with a newfound appreciation for the delicate balance between the present and the past. The forgotten story had become a chapter in the park's history, a reminder that sometimes the most unsettling mysteries are the echoes of stories long left untold. Years ago, I experienced something that still haunts me to this day. At the time, I was dating my abusive ex, though I was still deeply in love with him. It's difficult to admit now, but back then, I couldn't see the reality of our relationship. One day, we were sitting together on a bench in Yellowstone National Park, and I found myself laying in his lap while he gently ran his hand through my hair. I remember looking up at him and noticing something strange, as if there were something else present with us. Suddenly, a piercing sound filled my ears, and for a brief moment, I saw a demonic face overlapping my exes. The demon had horns, and its flesh appeared rough, possibly burnt. Thick, gray smoke swirled around it. It was only for a moment, but I saw the demon laughing and I got you kind of laugh. It was utterly chilling. I've never experienced anything supernatural before or since that incident, and I had never even believed in demons until then. I don't discuss this encounter with many people for obvious reasons, but the memory remains vivid. One day, years after the incident, I was hiking in a national park and I met a park ranger named Tom. After chatting for a while and feeling a sense of trust, I decided to share my eerie story with him. To my surprise, Tom told me that he had heard of similar experiences from other people who had visited the park over the years. He revealed that some people believed the park was haunted by dark energies that could manifest themselves in various ways. Tom's knowledge of these stories brought me a strange sense of comfort as it made me feel less alone in my experience. We continued to talk about the supernatural and shared other stories we had heard. By the end of our conversation, I felt a bond with Tom, and I was grateful to have met someone who could understand and validate what I had gone through. As I left the park that day, I couldn't help 
but wonder about the dark forces that might be lurking in the shadows, waiting to prey on unsuspecting victims. The park that I service gets little to no traffic anymore. Part of that is simply because of how small the town is. Another part of that is today's Americans just don't get out for the fresh air anymore. It's kind of sad, really. I see video games are the new fresh air of today and tablets and phones and electronics. A lot of them involve getting out into the wild and enjoying fresh air and hunting and surviving. Nobody is really into that anymore. People would rather literally pay money for a simulation than they could just go out themselves and do it. And yet, even as little traffic as our park gets, I still find just enough litter to make me irritated. As if people get out into nature just long enough to ruin it for everyone else. I was cleaning up some wrappers off a park bench when, among them, I noticed something different. There was one of these corn husk dolls, the kind that are fashioned after the type that Native Americans used to make. It didn't have a face, just a blank knob for a head and four nubs for arms and legs. Cute and creepy, I thought to myself, until I noticed a small piece of paper rolled up and tucked into one of its folds. I enrolled it out of curiosity and it said, Hello there? I smirked and threw it. After I was done picking up all the trash, I went back to my patrol car. When there was another corn doll stuck behind the handle of the door, it too had another message that it read, I said hello. I kind of prickled and looked around. As far as I could tell, I was the only person in the park and I hadn't seen or heard anyone. But then again, I was very absorbed in my work when I was picking up trash. It's possible that somebody was watching me and playing an elaborate prank just so they could do it for, you know, giggles. Still, I didn't like to think that somebody had gotten by me like that. I quickly got inside my car, shut the door, and no sooner had I done that, I noticed a third doll sitting on my steering wheel, also having another note that said, Could you use a hand? I nearly soiled myself when something smacked into the windshield. It took a second to fully register, but I realized it was a severed arm and hand, cut off at the elbow. Immediately, I radioed out that we had something going on in the park, and the response came fairly quick, as you would suggest and expect. But I wasn't sure if it was soon enough to keep whoever this was inside the park. I brought everybody up to speed, and there was a very thorough sweeping. They didn't find anything, no body, no killer, nothing, not even another doll. Forensics even did tests on the severed arm and unfortunately found that it belonged to a child that had been missing for over two months. The arm that hit my windshield is relatively fresh, so that meant the kid had died recently. The rest of the day kind of went by in a haze. I felt like a failure for not catching this monster and all the moments that I could have when he was tampering with my car. Again, we never found anything and the person was never caught. It's a mystery that will always be left as just that, a mystery. As a park ranger, I have seen a lot of odd things in my time. We get people that come out here for all sorts of reasons, especially in the camping area when it's off season. 
I've stumbled across all sorts of weird stuff, but so long as that weird stuff is legal and consensual, if you get my drift, then that's up to them, no judgment. Most of them can't even look you in the eye the next morning, and we just have a small chuckle about that. As I said, if you are consenting adults, it's your own business. But one time, I came across something that ended up being a police investigation. You see, I was out and about performing one of the last evening patrols before heading home for the night. We had three tents booked in that night, and it was getting towards winter when the camping area would be closed. Two couples had appeared, and one family with a mother, dad, and two small babies. The tents were fairly spaced out, and just before midnight, everything was quiet. I just finished up, heading back to the office to sign off when I saw a young girl, probably no older than 18, run past me. She was just in her underwear, and from the quick flash I saw of her face before running off to the trees, she was terrified, all wide-eyed and mouth ready to scream. Immediately, I turned around, shining my flashlight in the direction she'd ran off to. There was nothing. I headed that way and looked all around, calling out even nothing. I recalled the three ladies that were booked into the campsite. They were all older, the mom was likely in her later thirties, and the two women and the couples were around their mid-twenties, I would think. There was no good reason for a young girl to be running around in the dead of night when it was freezing cold. So I went through protocol and alerted colleagues and police. They headed out and conducted a more thorough search, woke the campers who were not happy that the babies had been disturbed, but there was no trace, literally no trace. I'm talking zero footprints where I'd seen her, no apparent way in or out that showed any evidence somebody had even ran through here, and no reports of missing teen girls or bodies showing up. I was relieved, but at the same time, not exactly sure what I saw. It did leave the question of, what the hell did I see, or did I possibly hallucinate it? I guess time will tell. So recently me, my wife, and the rest of the family that lives with us have been hearing and or smelling strange sounds. At first, we thought it was the stray cats or raccoons, but then things started getting weirder. We started hearing sounds. Sometimes it would be footsteps. Other times we would hear knocking. We thought maybe we smoked a bit too much of the devil's lettuce, but everyone else in the house was also hearing these things. That's when the sounds started sounding like people talking to us. But the weird thing was it always sounds like they are incredibly far away. The most recent thing was the smell of a rotten corpse of some kind, but I couldn't for the life of me remember when I last smelled a corpse like that. The smell seemed almost intense, as if it were right in front of me. I checked around our home and under it to make sure there were no dead animals. This happened at almost twelve at night, when my wife and I were outside smoking. I had my brother come out and check and even he agreed that it wasn't just me who smelled it. He said it smells like a corpse of person. That's when I remembered why the smell seemed so familiar, because a man had died a few years ago. 
and I remember how many times we walked by his corpse. They realized he died inside the wall, but I never forgot the smell. It was a very horrid smell. Still, that smell only has happened once, and it hasn't come back that I know of. I'm usually one to think of scientific reasons. I ended up checking if any possible sewage had leaked from a pipe, or if it came from our neighbor's home, but nothing seemed out of the ordinary. These weird happenings only seem to happen at night, and most of the people who live near us are usually asleep by 10 p.m., and we stay up till about 12 or 1 in the morning. My neighbors have told me that on the few occasions they have been outside at that hour, they say they feel uncomfortable or they hear something, but they chalk up to maybe the random animals or them being tired. I'll post an update if anything significant happens. I would also like any opinions or theories to know what it might be. I grew up in a small town near Wallowa Lake in Oregon, and I've always been fascinated by the stories of the Wallowa Lake Monster, or Wally, as some locals call it. My grandfather used to tell me tales about the creature when I was a child, and I was always on the lookout for any signs of its existence whenever I visited the lake. One summer, when I was in my early 20s, I decided to go camping at Wallowa Lake with a group of friends. We had a great time hiking, swimming, and exploring the area, but I couldn't shake my fascination with the Wallowa Lake monster. I asked some of the locals if they had ever seen it, but most of them just shrugged it off as a silly legend. One night, while we were sitting around the campfire, one of my friends told a story about a fisherman who had claimed to have seen the Wallowa Lake monster while out on his boat. He described it as a hump-shaped creature, about 20 feet long, with rough, scaly skin and glowing red eyes. The fisherman had been so terrified that he never went back to the lake again. As we all sat around the fire, listening to the story, I couldn't help but feel a sense of unease. What if the Wallowa Lake monster was real? What if it was watching us right now? The next day, I decided to rent a kayak and go out on the lake to see if I could spot anything unusual. As I paddled around the calm waters, I felt a sense of excitement and fear. What if I actually saw the monster? But as the sun began to set, and I still hadn't seen anything out of the ordinary, I began to feel disappointed. Maybe the Wallowa Lake monster was just a myth after all. Just as I was about to head back to shore, I heard a strange sound coming from the water behind me. It was a deep, guttural growl, unlike anything I had ever heard before. My heart raced as I turned my kayak around, and I couldn't believe what I saw. There, just a few feet away from me, was a hump-shaped creature with rough, scaly skin and glowing red eyes. It was easily 20 feet long, and it looked just like the descriptions I had heard all my life. I was paralyzed with fear, but the creature didn't seem interested in me. It swam away quickly, disappearing into the depths of the lake. As I paddled back to shore, my mind was racing. I had finally seen the Wallowa Lake monster, and I couldn't believe it. 
But now that I had seen it with my own eyes, I couldn't help but wonder what other secrets the lake was hiding. I couldn't believe my ears when I heard about the discovery of a goblin fetus in Mexico. The news had spread like wildfire on the internet, with people from all over the world debating the identity of the freaky find. As a journalist, I couldn't resist the urge to investigate. I traveled to Santa Maria Regla, where the alleged orkling was found, to get to the bottom of the mystery. The mummified corpse was reportedly unearthed during construction work on a derelict warehouse. The photos I saw showed a small body with pointy ears, a large nose, gnarled claw, tipped hands and feet, and no identifiable gender. It looked like something straight out of Lord of the Rings. The municipal mayor in town, Francisco Merrill Flores, quickly labeled the remains a goblin or a nagual, a Mesoamerican mythical creature that can transform into an animal. He believed that the discovery was relevant due to the cultural and social demand to give it importance. However, not everyone was convinced by Flores' explanation. Social media was abuzz with skepticism, with some people suggesting that it was a malformed fetus of a cat or dog. Doctors and vets were even called in to confirm the identity of the creature. As I visited the Museo de los Duendes, also known as the Goblin Museum, where the goblin baby was currently on display, I couldn't help but feel a sense of unease. The small, mummified body looked eerie and out of place in the glass case. Despite the controversy surrounding the discovery, it was clear that the people in Santa Maria Regla took their mythology seriously. As I left the museum, I wondered if there was more to this story than just a simple case of mistaken identity. One night years ago, I was hanging out with my now ex-boyfriend. It was either November or December of 2019. We decided that night that we wanted to look at the stars. It was very cold out and probably around 1 a.m but that didn't ever stop us from going outside. We put on extra layers, grabbed a blanket, and laid out to look at the stars. Most of the night, we were having fun, laughing, and talking. There was one point where our conversation got very serious. He started explaining to me that he didn't believe in God or anything at all. He believes nothing will happen when we die. My response to that was I respect his beliefs, but I believe in God. I know something will happen when we die. I've witnessed too many spiritual things in my life not to believe. I've always had a knowing that something more is out there. His only response was once he sees something, he'll believe it. We were quiet for a while after that, but eventually continued talking about other things and having fun. That's when I saw something in the sky. What I saw was a massive pair of wings gliding directly above me. It was at least 18, 20 feet. I couldn't make out a head, legs, or tail. Just a massive pair of wings. It was dark and hard to see, but the wings had a subtle glow, just enough for me to see it. It almost looked see-through, but also glowing. 
It can't be for sure, though. It was a shocking thing to see. I wasn't necessarily horrified, but I was in complete awe. I didn't feel anything negative. My ex wasn't paying attention at first. I shouted at him to look up. When he did, he immediately started panicking. He was swearing and freaking out. The pair of wings wasn't there for long. It just flew above us, then above my house, and seemed to disappear or just fade into the darkness. As it was flying, it only flapped its wings once, so really it was gliding. My ex grabbed me and insisted we go inside. He was horrified. We didn't get much sleep that night. Eventually, the next day after calming down, we decided we wanted to go out at night again and see if anything else happens. There was a lot more that happened I won't get into too much detail about. We saw strange UFOs and two big bright lights that appeared to be close to us, so bright that it was hard to see. That itself was very scary and unusual, but the strangest thing was the winged being thing. After this happened, my perspective of life changed completely. There is so much out there that we don't know about. Not that it's related, but weird things started happening around the world too. Pandemic, Ukraine, Chinese spy balloon, and so much more. There is just so much happening. I have searched and talked to so many people to see if maybe they experienced something similar, but I can't find much information. I do believe that maybe what I saw was an angel, or could be an interdenominational being. I'm not sure. I don't think I'll ever know for sure. I've accepted that. Again, as unbelievable as it sounds, this is something real that has happened to me and my ex-boyfriend. Backpacking has always been my way of connecting with nature, and my trip to New Hampshire was no different. The lush, verdant trails, the crisp mountain air, and the sense of tranquility that comes with being away from the city's hustle and bustle were all I needed for a perfect getaway. After a long day of hiking, my friends and I set up camp for the night. We had found a nice spot by a small stream, its soft gurgling the perfect lullaby for the cold night ahead. As the others started to set up the fire, I decided to wander off for a bit to answer nature's call. I moved away from the warm light of our fire, the cool, pine-scented air nipping at my cheeks. As I walked, my flashlight revealed an odd formation on the ground. It was a circle, carefully etched into the earth. Surrounding it were tuning forks, standing erect like silent sentinels guarding a sacred site. The sight of it sent a chill down my spine. It looked like something straight out of a horror film, some eerie ritual circle. Unease seeped into my heart, turning my blood cold. I quickly finished my business and hurried back to the comfort and safety of our campfire. As I returned, I couldn't shake off the sense of unease. I kept glancing back over my shoulder, half expecting to see something lurking in the shadows. That's when I saw it. In the distance, barely illuminated by the moonlight, was a tall figure. It was humanoid but grotesquely thin, 
its body unnaturally elongated. It moved with an eerie grace, its antlered head swaying slightly with each step. Its eyes, glowing in the dark, were locked onto me. I felt my heart lurch in my chest, a windigo. The stories I'd heard as a child about this terrifying creature flooded my mind. Paralyzed by fear, I could only stare as it moved closer. Suddenly, a loud crack from the campfire brought me back to reality. I turned and bolted towards the safety of my friends, not daring to look back. As I neared the fire, the warmth and laughter of my friends felt like a distant reality. My friends noticed my ashen face and asked what was wrong. But how could I explain it? I just shook my head and tried to laugh it off, but the image of the Wendigo lurking in the shadows remained etched in my mind, a chilling reminder of the mysteries and dangers that lay hidden in the heart of the wilderness. On my 10th birthday, I went to Buenos Aires, Argentina to see my mom's side of the family. There was a doll my mom had when she was a little kid. That doll was half the size of me. It was creepy. It sat in the storage room, which was right next to where I slept. It was about 1.30 a.m. for me, and I heard something crashing down and the storage room light turned on. Everyone jolted awake and the dogs started barking. I was like, what was that? I turned the lights on and I saw the doll, which was once on the chair, had fallen onto the floor. It somehow knocked over a cup too. Let's just say the next few nights I spent there, I had difficulty sleeping. When I got back, I slept normally. A few years ago in my undergrad, I was walking home from my class when I started feeling really sick. I have anxiety and all of a sudden my nerves shot up to a 10. I felt like I was going to puke and I was shaky. I went and sat on a bench in this strip mall on campus where they basically have a lot of stores and restaurants. After a while, the nausea went away and I just felt really, really tired. It was midterm season and I thought I was just exhausted so I went inside this coffee shop to get coffee. While in line, I felt so sick again. By the time I paid for my coffee, my anxiety was through the roof. I seriously thought maybe they'd messed up my meds or something. I walked home, put the coffee in the fridge, and laid down in bed where I couldn't sleep at all. After like half an hour of staring at the ceiling, I get this huge urge to call my dad. My dad is an amazing guy. But when it comes to mental illness, he sees it as kind of creepy weird, and so I've never talked about my anxiety with him. So I push away the feeling and figure it must just be that I'm desperate for someone to tell me everything's fine and freaking relax, his usual response when I'm anxious. Another hour or so goes by. I get a message on Facebook from my brother, and I am so shaken. He tells me there was a gas leak at the factory where my dad works. The entire neighborhood had to evacuate and two people died. Later it came out that the police suspected it was a S by the mechanic and unfortunately he took a security guard out with him. Here's the thing. My dad is also a security guard. 
There are usually two of them on duty, but halfway through driving to work, my dad realized he forgot his lunch and his access card, so he had to drive back home to get it. As he was getting ready to drive back again, his supervisor called him and told him not to go into work. There was a major gas leak. The rest of the night, I felt totally fine. I don't know what that was, but it creeps me out to this day. Since then, I've told myself no matter how weird it seems, I need to tell people when I feel like this. I told my dad about this years later, and he basically just said, wow, thanks for not calling to warn me. But he's still really sad about his friend that he lost, so he doesn't like to talk about it much. The college I went to was pretty isolated and in the middle of nowhere took me over an hour to get home each day. There was a lot of small trails and forest areas on and around campus to walk through though. Me and my two friends at the time used to frequently walk down this wooded trail until we got to a little stone bridge going over a canal. We would take the steps and sit under the bridge, usually feeding the ducks. People who lived on the other side typically had boats and such to take down the canal, and I guess this guy was no exception. One day, this man walked past us, seemingly just going under the bridge to continue down the canal. He took a few steps out and then turned around to look at us. He said his name was Indy and started asking us about college and how often we came here. My friend Al extremely tall and decently threatening if he wants to be got a little defensive, and he asked for our names. He said he had a boat on the river and pointed it out and asked if we could maybe just keep an eye on it whenever we are close by to make sure nothing happens to it, I guess. Elle agreed and pretended to take the guy's phone number, and he left back the way he came. This boat looked like it hadn't been used in at least a year. It was filthy and slightly broken. We left soon after this encounter as we felt creeped out. Elle told everyone to not go back there alone just in case he was a predator or something. I didn't listen and went back there to read about a week later. It was peaceful and got me off campus. However, he came back. I saw him walking back towards the bridge in the same direction he came from last time. Something in my gut told me to get out of there, so I grabbed my things and basically ran back to college. Since then, we've never seen that old boat or Indy ever again. Part of me wonders what happened to him, but the other is glad he didn't come back. My friends said they saw a cryptid when they were younger, around nine years ago, and that later they saw an image of it online. I've been searching for it, but with no luck, please help me find it. Here's the description they gave me. It was brown and flaky looking, roughly human-sized, and walked backwards on all fours, and had long, sharp, tusk-like teeth that went downwards. They said it looked scary and like it could hurt them, but that wasn't aggressive. They saw it at night upon opening their back door in a city in New South Wales, Australia, and said that it scampered through their house and that it was somewhat fast. I asked if it was a wandering Sigbin, and they said it wasn't, 